Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Happy almost 4th of July. Happy 3rd of July. Um, So glad to be here today. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at ICC. And if you're new here, we're just so excited that you are jumping right along with us in this series. 10 questions that Jesus asks. And uh, today we have a, a really awesome question. And how many, it's summertime, okay? How many are wearing sandals today? Ooh, just be ready. You're gonna get those toes stepped on, all right? No, I'm just joking. It's a tough question. It's a question that um, we're all gonna have to face and figure out. And in reading and preparing and studying, I know my toes were stepped all over and uh, in a good way. I wanna open us in two ways. First, I want to um, read uh, some lyrics from one of the greatest lyricists of our time. And I'd love to see if you, if you know who this lyricist is. Basically, the lyrics go like this. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? Greatest man that ever lived, right, Mr. Rogers? Anybody watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood growing up? Absolutely. Today we're talking about what it means to be a neighbor and what that looks like in the context of our lives. And one of the ways I wanted to start us out today is we just had a team come back from Kenya and they went thousands and thousands of miles away. And you may say, well, our neighbors aren't in Kenya. That's thousands of miles away. I mean, that's not even in my neighborhood. But I'd love to uh, bring a couple of the people that went on the trip with us here up, talk to them a little bit about what it looked like and what the purpose of their trip was and allow us to get a kind of a glimpse of what it really looks like to be a neighbor. So I'm gonna um, introduce Hunter and Natalie Fleener. They're gonna come right here. Hunter is a dental student at UTHSC. Uh, he's starting his last year in a couple of days. Um, Natalie works at Memphis College of Art. They've been in our small group for... The last couple of years, they're dear friends of Audrey and I's, and they got to go on their first mission trip with us this year. So, so everyone knows, some people may not know, can one of y'all just tell us what, tell what we were doing in Kenya for the past, you know, 10 days and kind of the, the strategy that we had and the things that we accomplished? Yeah, so, I mean, the premise wasn't just necessarily medical missions and, you know, we went necessarily going to get dental treatment and we also had a pediatrician there, so, but that wasn't necessarily the main thing behind it. We were going to share Jesus and also to make disciples. Um, one thing that Glenn, Glenn Roseberry is the, um, our missionary over there, and so he was saying, you know, we weren't called to just make Christians, but to go out and make disciples of Jesus, and so that's kind of what we went out doing. Awesome. What was the... Uh... What was the thing that kind of put you overboard on deciding to go overseas and go on mission trip with ICC? I think since the start of the year, um, we had kind of felt like we were 
called to go on a trip with ICC. Uh, we just didn't know what that was going to be or what that was going to look like. And so when we heard about the Kenya trip, it was kind of crazy how the timeline just worked perfectly and the fact that it was a dental trip and it was just exactly related to, you know, Hunter's Field. And so we just wanted to take that opportunity and everything just really came together for us to go on the trip. And we just felt like that was confirmation from the Lord. Awesome. What effect, looking back on it now, um, what effect did helping, uh, teaching, serving others in need, what effect has that kind of had on your life as you've been back in Memphis already? Well, I mean, the effect that it had on me, um, just going over there and seeing um, them, not, it, one, it's kind of humbled myself. Um, Lord just showed me that he takes care of them and just the welcoming, I guess, the factor that they had. I was kind of blown away with how, like, loving and kind they were to receive us, people that, you know, were so different, or mzungus, as, as they call us white folk. Um, but just the love that they had for people they didn't even know was really interesting because it's like they were our, like you said, neighbors, even though we were 8,000 miles away. And so the effect it had on me, it just it shows, like, we can... It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to travel 8,000 miles, but there's neighbors here mm-hmm. that we can be neighbors to and, and uh, reach out to. So that's kind of the thing. You want to add anything to that, Natalie? I think the humbling, definitely very humbling because we, we look at people who have... I mean, we have so many things, but yet we can find so many things to complain about in our day-to-day. And um, I felt really convicted about that. Um, And also, we just moved, and so it's really convicting to see all the junk we have and how useless it is. And so um, I think um, just really realizing, you know, no matter how much you have, whether it's a little or a lot, God is always enough, and that's that's really all we need. Awesome. What is one thing that you would think uh, you could tell us that God taught you uh, while you were there? He's definitely taught me to trust in Him, because um, there was like one day that we went, and I guess I didn't start out the day in prayer personally, and so. I was, like, had a spiritual attack by the enemy, and so, like, you know, I didn't necessarily realize it at first, but it was kind of like, you know, like, it was a little bit downing. I guess I had, like, a, almost like a depression spirit over me, kind of like, oh, you're not doing a good job, like, why why are you here, you know, um, other people, because I was mainly doing dental, so I was taking teeth out and helping people that way, Uh, but I wasn't sharing, like, the, the gospel, sharing who Jesus was, and I was like, and so, like, I guess I kind of got the enemy as, like, you know, what are you, you're not doing anything. Why are you here? Like, and so um, I didn't realize that until after I went back home that night before bed and just kind of prayed and talked to the Lord and realized, he's like, hey, you need to turn to me and trust me with, um, with your life and everything. I mean, in general. And so um, that he can protect me because whenever I'm weak, he's strong. And so, like, I realized that fully, like, and so the next day or the next week, you know, the rest of the time went great and I never really was attacked. And so that's just one thing is just to trust in him. Awesome. 
you say, Natalie? To be teachable. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of crazy how um, if you, you grow up in church, and I've been following the Lord for a long time, and then you go on your first missions trip overseas, and there was so much I felt like I didn't know until you actually are put in those situations. And um, I, I did not have very much grace for myself <laughs> for a little bit. And then I just felt like the Lord was saying, it's okay for me to teach you yeah. in the way. And like, it's, it's better for me to teach you than for you to have millions of other human teachers come into your life and try and teach you how to follow me. Like, let me teach you how to follow me. What would you tell someone who doesn't necessarily value serving others, especially others that are like completely different than them? What would you say to try to get them to understand the value of that? It's kind of hard, but um, I guess for me personally, I never saw myself going overseas to serve. Like I just growing up, I never, ever saw it um, until... I guess this past year, like Natalie was saying, we just kind of felt like the Lord, like saying, like, "Hey, maybe you should go do that." Um, and so we just kind of pressed into that. But um, I think, like, what I'd say is just um, one: the Lord calls us to it. So if you're Christian, He calls us to do it. And so, like, I always kind of like skipped over that, and I was like, eh, you know, I don't necessarily have to go. Um, maybe I'll, you know, provide money for someone else, but. Um, I think if you just put yourself out there and you um, be a willing vessel, the Lord will show you things that you didn't even know he could show you. And he's definitely, like, revealed things to me and just showed more of himself by helping others. Um, Because he said, you know, he's he's among the least. And so when you go out towards that, you find not only him, but, you know, you find a little bit of yourself. It's better to give than to receive. It's better to serve um, than just, you know, live life for yourself and um, really just thinking of ourselves as um, second mm-hmm. after other people. Awesome. You can keep up with all of our trips uh, online and things like that. We actually made a wonderful video you should go see. The last question I'm going to ask is, if you've seen the video, Hunter, where did you get all your sweet dance moves? Um, it'd be uh, Step Sing with uh, Sanford University. Sanford University. Awesome. Step Sing. Thanks, guys. Thank y'all so much. Will you give them a hand? <clears throat> Starting out, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to start in Luke chapter 10 in verse 25. We're looking at the question today. Uh, that Jesus asked, and he says, which of these men do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Which of these men do you think proved to be a neighbor uh, to the one who fell among the robbers? And so what I would love to do today is I'd love to walk all the way through this passage just really quickly, work through it, read it out, get a feel for it. I'd love to work back through it, point out a couple of things to you about the significance of that, And then let's do some takeaways of what it means of what Jesus asked. And so if you'll do this for me, if you'll take your Bibles out, if you've got them, it's on the screen as well. We're going to start in uh, Luke chapter 10 in verse 25. It goes like this. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, 
What shall we do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he, sent him on, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So this story is one that probably, if you've had any relationship with, with the church, if you've been involved in Sunday school or maybe uh, been in sermons, you've heard this story. It's a rather familiar passage, right? It's a story of what we would call the Good Samaritan, right? It's even familiar in a lot of culture, right? You see in a lot of health uh, organizations, you have the Good Samaritan law that's even in place in the United States, basically protecting someone who decides to, decides to come and help, right? This idea of the good Samaritan is kind of all across culture, so it's very familiar. But I pray today that familiarity does not turn your ears away from what the Lord really wants to, wants to say to us. Because what we know today is, and what, what we learn about scripture is, the more that we kind of dive into scripture and the more that we read and the more that we talk about and the more that we really explore scripture with the right eyes and the right heart, what we know is God begins to reveal new things to us. And so I pray that as we begin really kind of magnifying in on this passage, that you would do that today with, a, with the right spirit and the right heart. I want to start in verse 25 and go through there. So basically, here's how the story begins. We see the story says, and behold, a lawyer asked this question to Jesus. Basically, the question said, what, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What, what is it that I can do? Lord, what, what is it that I can do, teacher, to inherit eternal life? And I love Jesus because Jesus almost never answers a question with an answer. He almost always answers a question with a question. What he says is, well, what does the law say? And from there, the lawyer begins to, to tell of the Shema, which is, we've talked about this numerous times in this last year, but the Shema was this Jewish, basically Jewish text in Deuteronomy. You see, it's the second law in Deuteronomy. It's this Jewish text that basically lays out the foundation for the law of the Old Testament. 
And this law basically states, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with, with everything you have, basically, you shall love the Lord your God. And then it talks about how we should love our neighbor as ourselves. And so this is, what the, this is what the man decided to say. Obviously, this is how you in, inherit eternal life. You love the Lord your God with everything that you have, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And what does Jesus tell them? Absolutely, that is the correct answer. That you are correct in thinking of it this way. As we move on to verse 28, we see this. Verse 28 tells us, he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. 29 is such a cool passage. He said, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now you say, you may say, well, man, this guy's a real smart aleck, right? Like who is my neighbor, really, Jesus? But if you think about it, it's a really a, it's a good question to ask. But what we know is the question that he was asking was not asking a way of curiosity. It was a way of justification. What the man wanted to know is, I want to figure out what is the, what is the least that I can do? Who is, who, who is that group of people that I have to love? Because I want to make sure I can just do that to attain eternal life. And you may say, well, that's, that's pretty awful, but we do the same thing. Um, I, I know I've asked all these questions. Uh, God, what, what does it mean to be holy, really? You know, like, God, you say be holy, but like, what does that really mean? I'm trying to justify sin in my life or justify actions that I have. Does borrowing without intention of ever giving it back really classifies stealing Lord. Like I'm just barring it. And I didn't, I didn't ask for it. You know, I didn't, you know, I don't know if they don't miss it. They didn't need it. Right. Is that really stealing? Or this is one you hear all throughout. I may not be perfect, but at least I'm not like those people. You know, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not a murderer or at least I'm not going out and doing these things. We justify our actions all the time. We are justifiers of the things that we wanna do. And we try to figure out ways in which we can do those things and have a relationship with God at the same time. It's exactly what this guy was doing here. He was saying, listen, cut and dry. I need to know who my neighbor is. Because once I know who my neighbor is, then I'll make sure to love them. But everyone else, I'm not gonna worry about because I wanna do the absolute least or I wanna do the absolute thing that I feel, the only thing I feel I need to do to be right with the Lord. And so Jesus begins again. If he doesn't answer the question with a question, you can better believe he's gonna answer it with a story or a parable. And so what we see uh, through the rest of this is that Jesus starts a story in verse 30. He says, he replies, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, we don't know if this is a a parable, uh, a teaching. It is a teaching moment. We don't know if this is an event that really happened. We don't know if this is an event that could have happened. What we do know is that the road to Jericho was um, treacherous. If if you do a little research, you know that Jerusalem is 2,300 feet above sea level. And Jericho is 1,300 feet below sea level. In 20 miles that it takes to get from Jerusalem 
to Jericho, the road drops 3,600 feet. And this road is not just a straight path. It's a crooked, narrow valley road. It's one that has lots of turns and lots of cliffs and lots of, um, you know, for lack of a better term, dark alleys. It would have been famous to the people of that time to know the road to Jericho. This road was not one that you go out at night to. Some of you live in these places in Memphis, right? You know which roads you can step outdoors at night and you know which roads you don't need to step outdoors at night. I I used to live at Lamar and Bellevue, right? When eight o'clock rolled around, we we weren't just walking down to the checkers to get a milkshake, you know? It's just, you didn't do it. And so it was very similar in this, in this setting, even more so because this was a, a highly traveled area, but it was very dangerous. And what you know is that robbers and thieves and bandits would, would pick certain spots along this road to pick off people that they could, that they felt were vulnerable. And so it's exactly what happened to this man. He said he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed. So this road was a happy hunting ground for vulnerable targets that were making this trek to Jericho. And the story picks up again in verse 31. It says, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now it's interesting, the three characters that we begin to see here. We see a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. That's like a start of a bad joke, all right? Um, but the priest, as you know, if you, if you do history through Old Testament and New Testament, a priest was a very distinguished person at that time. Priests had privileges that no one else had. If you look at uh, the structures of the temples, they were, very, they were classified as by what people could enter certain rooms, right? We see that the, the high priest is the one who can enter the utmost and innermost room, right? The dwelling of God. But the priest could then enter this room out here. And then it was more like, other religious figures here, common people, you know, men, women and children, and then people that weren't Jewish over here. And so when he says a priest, it's not just, a, you know, the start of a bad joke, but a priest is a, a significant figure that they would look to for, um, for the, re, you know, the reading of scripture. They would look to for justification. At that time, the priests were the ones who pre- performed sacrifices for the atonement of sin. And so this priest was a high looked at figure, well respected in the community. This priest is a person who, um, you know, it, it would almost be like, you know, Billy Graham was walking down the road. You know, it was someone that, that, that carried a lot of, um, just a lot of class, a lot of respect that people needed to hear about and people respected. This priest is one who carried um, the weight of the kind of the spiritual understanding of the people at that time. They were looking to the priest for guidance. They were looking to the priest for justification for sin. They were looking to this priest for these things. He performed all of these things for them. This priest was in human form about as high as you can get in honor when you talk about re- religious activity. And so when he, when he says a priest appeared, you had to think that the, the man's ears kind of perked up. Oh, the priest, okay, what's he gonna do? And what Jesus tells us is that the priest goes on the other side of the road and walks by. Now, there could be several reasons that the priest had. Maybe 
Um, he was late to performing a ceremony. Maybe he was, you know, he had just got done with something. Maybe he was tired. I understand that. Maybe in, you know, a lot of times in the law that day, there were certain things that could be touched and could not be touched. The priest may have looked at the man and said, I don't want to, I don't want to get myself dirty in the effort of my people. I want to stay clean so that my people can be holy. Maybe his understanding, all those things may have played into that fact. But the truth is, the priest, whatever reason, he didn't stop, didn't stop. And he kept going and he kept his religious duty at the the foremost front of who he was, not his humanity. The second person we see is a Levite. And we see this, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Now you may say, well, who is a Levite? And what is their purpose and why is that important? Well, if a priest is kind of the most high figure you see in religiosity at that time, you can see a Levite's gonna be right under him. A Levite's gonna perform a lot of the ceremonious thing, the services in the temple. They're gonna make sure things go well for the priest. They had specific duties that they were called to do uh, for religious activities at that time. So again, here's another person that's supposed to be close with God, have a relationship with God. It's supposed to be a, almost a, a light to the people of how to love God. And this person himself walks by. What are the reasons for that? We don't know. Maybe he saw the bandits that were there waiting to take him. Maybe, maybe he was running late or maybe he had other things on his mind. But the truth is the Levite did not stop either. So all of a sudden we see these two people. We see the Levite and the priest. And no doubt Jesus calls those two people out at that time because of the need for understanding what it really means to have a relationship with God. At that time, relationship with God was a very confusing thing for the people because what people began to do was they began to think, if I can just perform the law to the, the best of my abilities, if I can just atone for my sin and my sacrifices, Basically, if I can just reach this bar of, you know, my life looks like this, then I'm going to be okay. Then I'm doing the things that the Lord wants me to do. So much so that priests and Levites at that time were taking laws that God intended for to pierce our hearts. Laws um, such as like keeping his commandments on our hearts. And they were doing crazy thing like, things like making necklaces that had the commandments in them or or writing them on, on pieces of paper or, you know, having things on their forehead to, you know, remind them of the law. When really what God is trying to say is like, think about our, your relationship with me. Think about these things. And so at that time, all these things have kind of gotten skewed. And all these people are doing religious activities, but they are void of the truth of what God desires and what God wants. Enter in the Samaritan. Now you say, you told us about priests, you told us about Levites. What the world is a Samaritan? If you know much about um, kind of Hebrew history, then, then you know at one point the kingdom, the, uh, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. This division happened after King Solomon. And the northern kingdom, the kings that they had after King Solomon were all evil. These northern kings 
did not follow after the heart of the Lord. They did not do the things of the Lord. And what happened was for a few years they had these kings, but all of a sudden they were put into exile. And in exile, a lot of different things happened to them. But one of the things that happened is they kind of lost their way about what it meant to be true Israel, what it meant to have a relationship with God. And so if we fast forward all the way to this passage, what we know is Samaritans are people descended from the northern kingdom of Israel, okay? At the same time, the kingdom of Judah was happening. There were, there were good kings, there were bad kings, there were prophets that were trying to get the people back on track with what the Lord was doing. And they went into exile, but they all ultimately returned to the land, kind of understood their identity as the people of God and went on about their way. They were very particular about the things that they believed, okay? So you have these two groups of people. You have Jews and you have Samaritans, all right? And one of the things that got mixed up in, in, in the way that Samaritans did things was they were still monotheistic, meaning that they believed in one God, but the way that they practiced their religion or their relationship with God was very different. For instance, in Jewish culture, you would not say the name of God. It was, it was a sin to even mention the true name of God. If you look in uh, a Hebrew Bible, they won't even spell it out. They won't even spell the name out, out of reverence and respect for God. Well, the Samaritans did away with that. And they called God whatever they kind of felt like calling God, not in a bad way, but they would very much call God by his true name. Can you imagine how much that would irk the Jews, how much that would frustrate them, that the very thing that they adhered to, the very thing that um, has been around in their culture, in their history, for at this point, hundreds of, and hundreds of years has now been warped and, and re, kind of repackaged in another way. And so these Samaritans believed the same types of things, but went about it very differently. And it was very hard for the Jews to have any respect for them. As a matter of fact, um, the truth is, it, I, would almost, I would almost bet you that the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans speaking uh, in general terms, is very similar to the relationship between American Christians and Middle Eastern Muslims. It's this hatred of the two in general terms. This hatred because both sides feel like something has been skewed, has been, has been messed up. The truth has been um, kind of vaporized from the message. And so this is the level of Disdain, the level of hate that a Jew would have for a Samaritan. And what do we see here? We see this. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. It goes on to say this. And the next day he took the two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Jesus then asked the question, which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. So the Samaritans and the Jews, they hated each other. 
The Samaritans were a mixed culture from the northern kingdom, did not adhere to the rules that the Jews had. Think about the tension that played out as this Samaritan went, had compassion on this man, felt, felt pity on this man, but not just pity, true compassion on him. And then he sacrificed things that were his own. You see, this Samaritan, it doesn't say that he was a medic. It doesn't say that he was some doctor that had the right tools. What do we know that he did? Well, we know that he bandaged him up, right? What do you think he used to bandage this man up? His own clothes, I would bet. What do you think he used to clean this man's wound? His own wine that he was carrying. What do you think that he used to, 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 to soothe this man's skin? Probably his own oil. What do you think he used? What do you know he used to get the man out of that dangerous spot? His own donkey or his own transportation. What did he use to put the man up in a place where he could heal? His own money that I guarantee was supposed to be used for something else. Do you see the level of compassion that this man has? This compassion is not one that says, look at this poor man. What in the world could I do? I, I don't think I could really do anything and walk on. This is a level of compassion that, that moves people into action. And this action, let me tell you, is always sacrificial. I'm afraid that today in our society, we confuse compassion with coincidence or compassion um, with, oh, I just happen to have these things so you can have them. I don't think that's compassion at all. What I know of compassion is sometimes compassion moves people to think less of themselves and more of others. Compassion moves people to care about the needs of others, about the needs of their self. So what we see in this man is he said, you know what? These clothes, I don't need them. This man needs them more. This wine, I don't need it. We need to take care of these wounds. This oil, I don't need it. We need to help this man. This transportation, I'll put him, I'll walk. I'll put him on the donkey. This money in my pocket, I don't need it. It's for him. And if he needs more, I'll pay it. I'm afraid that we mistake compassion in today's day and age, even in our church, in any church, as what is convenient. It's not much about compassion as it is convenience. Well, I will help others if it's convenient for my bank account. Or I'll help others if it's convenient uh, for my family or if it's convenient for my schedule. I'll make sure things get taken care of if it's convenient for me or if it makes sense to me. The truth is, friends, that compassion never makes sense. It never makes sense. Look at what God in his compassionate heart has done for us. He offered up his holy son who is king of all kings, Lord of all lords, holy, set apart from the beginning of time. He was, he is, and he will be. He set him apart for a mission to bring sinners like you and I back to God. And we didn't deserve the compassion that he gave. Logistically, it didn't make sense. Logically, if God would have listened to someone that wanted to look at him logically, they would have said, why do that? That doesn't make any sense. Why would you ever give up so much for so little? But friends, compassion doesn't make sense, but it's what we're called to. And we see this ultimately, 
Jesus answers this man's question with another question. So he, so he has another question at the beginning. He tells a story. And then he finally answers this man with another question. What does he say? He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? I find it really interesting. We get a hint at how far this story pierced into this lawyer's heart. We get a hint of it, and I think it's funny. What does he say? He said, the one who showed him mercy. The man couldn't even say the name Samaritan. He couldn't even say Samaritan. He had to say the one who showed him mercy, right? He couldn't even let the words come out of his mouth. It, it, lends us a, a, it gives us a lens of what the man is truly thinking. After hearing all of this, the compassion that a Samaritan man had for a Jew and the things that he did, and when he was asked, who is the one who is the neighbor? He can't even say his name. He can only describe him. Friends, I'm afraid that sometimes this is us. This is the way that we react to things. And so we have to ask ourselves, okay, if the question is not necessarily, we ask the wrong question sometimes. Sometimes we ask the question, who is our neighbor? Who qualifies to be our neighbor? The truth is like, that is the absolutely wrong question. We're asking the question that the lawyer's asking. We're asking, okay, who do I need to love in order to please God? That's the question of who is my neighbor? But the real question that Jesus asks us is one that, that, allows us to see something more. You see, the question Jesus asked is more important. He's asking, are you a good neighbor? Are you a good neighbor? Which of these three proved to be a good neighbor? Which of these three? Not who is it? It it doesn't matter who it is. Are you the neighbor? Are you the person that qualifies as a good neighbor? So that makes me wonder, what in the world qualifies as a good neighbor. And a couple of things that we can see from scripture I'd love to move to really quickly are these. The first thing that we see in a good neighbor is this. Are you a person that displays compassion towards others regardless of differences? Look back at the scripture, see what it says. The Samaritan, right? But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, When he saw him, he had compassion. Are you a person who displays compassion no matter and regardless of differences? I may step on some toes here, but let me give you a couple of groups that haven't seen compassion. Are you a person who shows compassion to 70,000 refugees that moved into the United States and the U.S. in 2015? people that are running from their very homes because of a matter of differences. People that may believe in the same way we do. People that definitely don't believe the same that we do. Do you, do you show compassion to those people? Do they deserve compassion? Just like your friend or just like your, your fellow countrymen? You see, it's really interesting in the, I was looking at a Bible dictionary this this week, and the word for um, for neighbor in the Greek actually really has three definitions. One, you could classify neighbor as a friend. Two, you could classify neighbor in that time as a fellow Jew or countryman. 
But three, there was a new qualification for neighbor, and that qualification for neighbor came from Jesus directly through this passage. That qualification for neighbor was anyone, anywhere, that you have the opportunity to serve and to love and display compassion towards. Anyone, anywhere, that you have the opportunity to display compassion towards. Some of us in the room are donkeys. Some of us are elephants. Can you display compassion to those who have different views politically than you? Can you love them no matter what views you don't agree on or do agree on? What about, here we go. What about in America today, our LGBT community? Do you show compassion to people who have totally different mindsets than you and you may not agree at all on the things that they believe and the things that you believe? But guess what? God calls us to be people of compassion Compassion doesn't happen from the qualifications of people. It begins in the understanding and the surrender of our heart. Being people of compassion is not about looking who wins the prize or who's doing enough or who's following God the best. Being people of compassion is being a surrendered vessel of God and saying, I have all this that God has given me and I wanna spread it out to others no matter who they are, no matter what they are, no matter where they are, we're called to be people of compassion. Is compassion displayed in your life or is hate? Is compassion displayed in your life or is indifference? Is compassion displayed in your life or is ignorance? You do not have to agree with the people that you have compassion on. I guarantee that that Samaritan did not agree with the things that the Jew was or represented. But you better believe he had compassion and he served them and he cared for them. Church, today is the day to be people of compassion. Let us not be remembered for the people and the arguments and the distaste that we have for people that are different than us. Let us be remembered for the people that we love and have compassion for despite differences. And granted, they're big differences. They're important differences, but it shouldn't imprison compassion because compassion overflows into all those things. Can I get an amen for that? We're called to be people of compassion. The second thing we see is this. Are you generous in your care and outpouring for others? Are you generous in your care and your outpouring for others? To be a good neighbor, we see that we have to be generous in our care and our outpouring for others. You'll see this scripture, right? Evidence for this. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, most likely with his own clothes, pouring on oil and wine. Whose was it? It was his. Then he set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. What did he do at the inn? Well, he gave two denarii, right? And he said, any more that you need, I'll I'll give. Take care of him. Do whatever you need to spend, and I'll repay you when I come. You see, this was inconvenient for this Samaritan. It was totally and completely inconvenient for him to do the things that he did. But are you generous in your care? Are you generous 
in your outpouring towards others. Friends, if you want to know what it means to love others, are you compassionate and are you generous in your care and your outpouring for others? Do you care for others out of convenience? Or do you care for others out of compassion? Do you care for others only when it's convenient? Or do you care for others in a way that's sacrificial? Because the truth is, if God cared for us when it was convenient, we would still be waiting and we would be hopeless. But God cared for us when it was sacrificial. God cared for us when it meant the world. God cared for us when it was hard. God provided the things that we needed when we needed them. Friends, today is the day to find the needs of people around you and be sacrificial. I don't care if you have $200 in your bank account. I don't care if you have $2 million in your bank account. I don't care if you have a three-story house, a three-bedroom house, a a three-room house. I don't care. What you have, God has given you to be sacrificial to others. What we know of internationals in our city, it's a stat I throw around all the time. Over 80% of internationals in our city right now have never stepped foot into an American home. Why is that? Why is that? People who are away from their home and their family, they have no friends apart from the people that they work with or go to class with, are yearning for friendships, are yearning for people to care about them in their life. And yet our homes are closed off to only the people that are convenient to us. Friends, I've said it a thousand times and I'll say it a thousand more. Your home, your house is the greatest tool that you have in welcoming neighbors and being a good neighbor. Cooking food for people and bringing them to dinner, asking about them and caring about them is the greatest asset, one of the greatest ways that you can show hospitality and the true character of Christ. I pray that we would be a church that is a good neighbor in that aspect. I pray that our doors would be wide open to our church and our home for all people and willing to listen and willing to love and care and give sacrificially so others may know who Jesus is and the hope that he gives. When you help others, is it sacrificial or is it leftovers? I pray too often in my life it's leftovers. I pray that it will be sacrificial. And the last thing that we see is, has the mercy you have received from Christ overflowed into the lives of others? Has the mercy that you've received from Christ overflowed into the lives of others. I think it's funny that the Jew could not even say the word Samaritan because lucky for us, we get to see truly. Yes, he didn't say Samaritan, but he gave us a good clue about what it means to be a good neighbor. He told us this, who was it? Which of these men was it that proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go, And do likewise. Friends, we have been given so much mercy. We have been given so much mercy that if it stops with you, if the things that you're receiving from the Lord Jesus don't end with you and aren't expressed in ways to others, friend, you're missing it. You're missing the true intention of what God desired in your life because he desires for you to be a faucet of vessel for mercy in this world. He desires to turn that handle of mercy on in your life so it can flow all the way through you into others that you have influence with, 
that you have relationships with. There are people in this room right now who have access to people that I will never, ever have a chance to meet, to love, or to care for. How will those people receive mercy? They'll receive it through you as a neighbor, calling them, serving them, loving them, helping them, showing compassion to them. They won't find it from me. I'm not connected with them. I'm not at your workplace. I'm not in your family. I don't go to the same school you do. The responsibility is yours. God has placed you in this place for a reason. You are a light. You are salt. Even in Matthew right there, it says you are a city set on a hill for a purpose so that your good deeds may be shown and seen and people would glorify the Father, not you, but the Father. A city doesn't just get put somewhere, it gets placed. And who has placed you? In the place that you are, God has. You may question, why in the world am I in this place or in this job or in this school or in this family? You know, you may have those questions. But the truth is, God has a plan. And if you surrender to that and say, God, I wanna be a person of compassion. I wanna be a person of mercy. I wanna be a person of just genuine care and outpouring in my life wherever I am. You'll begin to see the reasons that God has placed you where he has. Our love and mercy for others is only available from God. He is given to it. We are to give it to others. Some of you in this room may say, well, I don't even have a relationship with God. Like when you talk about relationship with God, I have no idea what you mean. What I wanna tell you is that God has a plan. And God's plan for people is this. God desires a relationship with you. He is the creator of all things. He is the sustainer of all things. He is the redeemer of all things. And if you don't know him today, what I encourage you is this. You will never, ever, ever be able to love people the way that you were created to love people. You will never, ever be able to live in relationship with people the way you were created to live in relationship with people until you live in relationship with God the way you were created to live in relationship with God. Because the truth is the love and the mercy that God talks about here in scripture doesn't come from our hearts initially. It comes from God. And only he can pour that into our lives. He can change our spirit. He can transform our lives to care deeply and sacrificially about others. It doesn't come from you. If, if I'm honest in my worst days, I'm the most selfish person in this room. I, I want things my way. I want things how I desire them. I want whatever's gonna benefit me the best. And that comes from my sinful nature. But what God has taught me and what God has shown me and what God has done in my life is this. God doesn't necessarily want what's best even for him. He desires what's best. And he desires what's best for for me. And even in what's best for me, he gave up everything so that I could be restored to a right relationship with him. Because I'm a sinful being. And I do not deserve God's compassion and his mercy and his outpouring. I don't deserve it. But in his sacrificial love, he has given all of that to me. And I pray today, if you don't know him or have a relationship with him, today is the day. He is waiting. He has been, he has been waiting on you, saying, come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will give you the things 
that you desire and the things that you need and the mercy that can only come from me and the grace that can only come from me and the the restitution and the redemption that can only come from me because it can't come from anywhere else. Only through God's mercy and God's grace can we be people of mercy and grace in the way that God desired for us to be. The last slide I wanna show you is this. I'd love, I think this is gonna be a theme in my life, in my office, I'm gonna write it down and think about it. Because it cha- radically changes the way that I think about love. Love should not be limited by its object. Its extent and quality are in the control of its subject. Love should not be limited by its object. But it, its extent and its quality are in the control of the subject. Friends, you have a choice today. You have a choice to walk out the door today and love all people. Be a neighbor to all people, no matter the differences that you have. You have a choice today to be a person that God truly wanted you to be in relationship with all people, in relationship with a refugee from Syria that doesn't believe in the same things that we believe in. God desires for you to love them, to care for them, to show compassion on them. It doesn't matter the differences. Love is not about the, the object. It's not about the limits of the object. Love is about the extent and the quality of the subject, the control that the subject has. And, and friends, you have all the love and the mercy in the world to give because you have the love and the mercy of God himself. He has given it all to you and he has asked you to give it all to others, no matter where they are, who they are, or when they are, whatever. They're here, they're waiting. Are you a good neighbor? Which of these three? Which of you today have proved to be a good neighbor in your life? Which of you have been the person that can say, you know what, yes, I'm a person that's displayed compassion. I'm a person who's cared and outpoured generously for others. And I'm a person of mercy. Are those my instincts? Are those the first things I think when I meet people that are different than me or meet people that I disagree with? Are you a good neighbor? Not, are the, not who is my neighbor, but are you a neighbor who qualifies as something that God has desired for us? I'm gonna ask Robbie and the band to come up. I just wanna spend this time, if you will, just bow your heads. I wanna spend this time um, in a little bit of reflection today. It is a tough thing to be a neighbor. It is a tough thing to be a person of compassion, person of generous love and generous outpouring for others it's hard to be a person of mercy it's not it's not our it's not our nature we have to truly understand and believe in the things that God is we have to truly understand the things that God has given us and who he's called us to be would you just pray with me today that we could be as a church people of mercy, we could be as a church people of compassion. We could be neighbors to all that are around. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we realize that it is in the grand scheme of things, God, this world is not just about us. God, we play a small part in the things that you're doing. But God, you have given us the tools. You have given us the grace. You have given us the mercy. God, you have bestowed upon us compassion. 
And God, what I know is that your will is not for us to store that and hide that. It's not for us to keep that to ourselves. But God, your desire is for us to be used as your vehicles and your vessels, to lavish those things upon others, no matter who they are, no matter where they are. God, no matter what they are. God, I pray that we would stop looking at the qualifications of what makes our neighbors our neighbors. God, I pray that we would stop putting people in boxes and saying, they can be my neighbor if they, they you know, check off these boxes. God, I pray that we would be people who are neighbors to all people. That we would be people who have compassion, true compassion that leads to action in all people's lives. God, people of a different race, God, people of a different religion, God, people of a different sexual orientation, God, people of a different economic class, God, people of a different culture, God, whoever and wherever. God, let us, let love not be limited by the object of our love, by the object of your love, God, but let it, let it be grand and big. Let it be qualified and existent because of the love that you've given us, the love that we have from you. God, if the love that you have for us was just based upon your object, God, it would be a small love because we are a small people. God, and the differences between you and us are astronomical. God, you are holy. You are above all things. You created all things. God, and we are a created being. We are, we are less than holy. God, we are so small. But God, because the love that you have centered on who you are and not who we are, God, we've received love that is boundless, that is unlimited. God, that is not, that is not imprisoned by the differences that we have. Because when we were yet sinners, God, you died for us. I pray that that love would be the love that motivates us today. I pray that that love, a love that only can come from you, that's expressed in our lives, that's, that's we're given over to God, would be the love that flows out of our lives into the people in our community, the people in our world, God, the people in Memphis, the people in Kenya, people across the world, God, no matter the differences we have. And I pray that we would be vehicles and vessels as neighbors. We would understand the call that you've given us to be good neighbors to all people. God, for love is not limited by its object. But it is, it is by the quality and the existence and the control of its subject. God, I pray that we would be subjects of love to all people. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.